A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hello and thanks for downloading Outspoken, the podcast that brings you the very best of our daily talk sports show. Simon and myself were joined by Carl Robinson on this bank holiday Monday to reflect on the weekend sporting action, including controversy in Poland, entertainment at Anfield and disaster at Twickenham. Carl Robinson, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, how are you? This man, Simon, walks voluntarily from Euston Station in the bank holiday sunshine. How good is that? 10,000 steps. 10,000 steps. Every day. And you enjoy it? You do. Yeah. This is one of the best cities in the world, and I think on bank holiday mornings, it, it doesn't look... This is the perfect morning for it. Beautiful. Carl, perfect morning for us, because you're with us till one. Uh, what was the hearing? Bit of a... Bit of a hiatus at home. You couldn't find your own car keys, or what? Yeah, I'm such a fanny. Uh, I've lost all my car. I've lost all my car keys. I've lost all my car keys. I've got one car out for service, one car at home, and I bought Michelle a brand new car. So I had to take her car this morning, which she's not too amused about. She's even driven it herself. <laughs> Have my particular brand of driving, all heel and toe. Well, talking about driving, I mean, I mentioned it to McCoy, Simon. I was at uh, London City Airport on Friday night. BA. London City to Glasgow sounds straightforward enough for the John Hartson Cancer Foundation dinner and ball which I was mm. hosting flight cancelled no other plans from BA Every, everybody's on their own of course trouble in the rail real world you can't get a train so uh, drove overnight on Friday to Glasgow got in at 6am how long did that take? Um, about 6 going on 7 hours mm. Um, did the evening with John Hartson great people there though uh, as I was telling you Carl Archie Knox Frank McAvenny Rab Douglas some great people there Um, and then of course you drive up so you've got to drive back I'm assuming that you listened to all my podcasts on the way up and down he said he listened to all of them I did yes I pulled over and I had a good sleep he said nothing (laughs) well I mean it's interesting I am going to hit BA with everything they're scandalous Um, scandalous 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 and Nadine if you're listening this morning, a lovely lady, Nadine, she had to get back to Glasgow to see her young son playing football, so gave her a lift. We gave her a lift and got her back to Glasgow. Lucky her. BA's <laughs> motto is, you make us I'm going to leave that one alone, Carl. I'm going to leave that one alone. <laughs> but lucky I listen to your podcast. <laughs> BA's motto is, you make us fly. Well, we do, but you don't. I mean, honestly, you're right, Simon. They're shocking. 
they're shocking. Absolutely they're, dreadful. They are, given that they are supposedly the nation's airline, with all the pomp and ceremony that goes behind it, they are scandalous. They are scandalous. For years, I flew back when I was living in Spain, flying back and forward. The one airline you didn't want to get on was British Airways because they were the one airline that would always be delayed, always uh, cancelling flights. And you'd watch flights go off and people like EasyJet, and you say to the British Airways guys, why are you not taking off in clement weather? But these guys are landing on the same runway. Exactly. Inclement weather. Exactly. What? Well, everybody's left their own devices. I mean, at one Paul. stage it was an Uber to Glasgow. The, then the guy thought uh, against that because maybe 800 quid wasn't enough. Mm. It was a farce. Mm. So we will lay in the BA and anybody else who was up there on the same flight, my sympathy goes to you. Um, but we'll take them on. We've got a sizable listening audience. 1.3 million people are hearing it out there. Not good enough. BA, you've made a big bloomer. So, Carl, I've got that off my chest. Have you? Uh, almost, <laughs> almost. Um, Liverpool, unbelievable yesterday. Brilliant. Before I go any further, uh, Mel, it is your birthday. Or I think your birthday today, and you're having a bad birthday yesterday because your team Liverpool were losing. It's turned into the best possible birthday. Happy birthday to you, Mel. What did you make of it? What did it tell us about Liverpool, Carl? Um, I thought for me, watching the game, when they went one down, when they went down to ten men, I thought they show with a sense of solidarity for for large parts. Like you've got to ride your luck when yeah. you're down to ten men. I thought Allison made some wonderful saves, but I thought the substitutions and key moments made big differences. Um, obviously, I know you're going to come on to it. Tyndall on the touchline with his shushing, Jurgen Klopp during that <laughs> will only wind the manager up and cause even more controversy. Yes. Um, yeah. But I thought that the longer the game went on, we've we've had a debate this morning because somebody works behind us has criticised Nuno said he's rubbish oh the Arsenal fan who happens yeah. to produce this show yeah, yeah. he yeah. said he's absolutely he said he rubbish. wouldn't have him at Arsenal no he wouldn't it was quite for, amusing. for what reason right? he's got pace he's got power he's got strength yeah, yeah he's unpredictable but he, his two finishes yesterday were outstanding yeah, it really was. I mean, Simon, I, I got the highlights when I eventually got back down here to London last night and I watched it. Get you in a second, Simon. Eddie Howe spoke post-match, so did Klopp. I mean, has it been a humbling week for Newcastle? Don't forget, they lost to City 1-0. I was there last weekend. Now they've lost to Liverpool. So let's hear from Howe and from Klopp. Liverpool was always in the game when it was 1-0 and we played against them here last year where we had the extra man and we were excellent with 10 men. You know, we played really well that day with the man less and it can happen. And I don't think they were a threat in the match to our goal. It was only really set plays and those two chances at the end. But it's, it's happened, it's done and we have to deal with it and process it and uh, move on to next week. It was one of the most special games I was ever part of. And I have a few and I watched a few and I coached a few. This was 70 minutes in a stadium like this um, with 10 men, one nil down. I never saw something like that. And the way we did it, I think we all agree. In the end, we deserved it. So we had we had, we had chances before we scored. So we did really well. We calmed them down. We, we, we played better with 10 than with 11. We'll get to Liverpool in a second. Simon, I mean, for Newcastle, has it been a humbling week? Are they now in the, in the naughty corner having to think about with themselves? Well, I mean, you know, they've played the champions. Um, and they've played one of the top sides in the country, albeit we think that Liverpool are going for a rebuild. I thought it said a little bit more about Newcastle than it did about Liverpool. And I was listening to the commentators sitting alongside the old champagne socialists talking about <laughs> potentially, <laughs> potentially two, pa- two, two points dropped. Yeah. And I thought to myself with 10 minutes to go, you're going to get beat here. 
the way this game is going <clears throat> isn't just going to be a, <clears throat> a point that Liverpool are going to get here. There's a distinct possibility that Liverpool are going to score another goal. So I wasn't surprised watching it. But I also think there is a there's a cultural thing inside football clubs yeah. when you are so acclimatised to winning and you've been used to winning and you know what winning looks like, like teams like Manchester City and Liverpool, not so much last year, but in recent times, Liverpool are built on a fabric of understanding what it takes to win in certain situations. And Newcastle are acquiring that mindset there's not this deep set belief inherent belief that they're going to be one of the top sides and win things there's a desire and there's a and there's an ambition there's a momentum coming behind them. yes yes but it's not quite there yet so i wasn't surprised that liverpool overcame it i didn't I, look, everyone to their own. I didn't quite see the histrionics of it being as memorable as beating teams no. like Barcelona. No. I think that's all a bit of hyperbole. And they were lucky not to be down to nine because, you know, with due respect, whether he, he was fouled himself, whether, whether Trent Alexander was fouled, he was booked, and he should have been booked yeah. again. He should have gone. So they should have been down to ten then. And there's no doubt that all this, you know, pontificating about... Virgil van Dijk's position, that was also a red card as well. So they're quite lucky there. But they got good players. Do you think so? Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely. I mean, the more I've watched it, the more I've listened to other people talk about it. I've even listened to the Gafford Why and Why would it not be, Carl? No, I, I just, uh, I, I think last season, 100% yes. I think, obviously, the, the new regulations and new laws this season of what is a foul. When you think he didn't give anything for the push on Trent when he went to ground, then he got booked. I think it's a silly challenge. I th- I'm not too sure whether... Well, I think he I, missed I, the push on Trent, didn't he? Um, and he bottled... The push that trade one hundred percent. The second yellow card that is is terrible. Mm. They can't. The amount of times now we've this only was the second week of the Premier League season, and they're missing more and more obvious errors than they've ever done before. But to me, with the, with the Van Dyke one, I just felt it was. It things happen so quick at that top level. He's last man, Carl. He's last yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, come on! I know you're wearing your Liverpool hat. Yeah, I'm a last bit. man. Yeah, this I am a little bit, and I think. But it, for me, I still think it was borderline. Mm. I still think at the time when I seen it, Jim, right away, I didn't say sending off. I thought it was actually a very good tackle. Yeah. Actually, weirdly, he actually got it right when you look back properly. But right. to get that well, right in that it, moment. Could it get worse before it gets better for him? Because this stamping out abuse approach from the referees is, is banned for one game. And it looks like that might be more because of what he gave it to John Brooks in the face. Verbally. I think he has to. I think once you're listen, you're talking to an idiot here who's been sent off and, and didn't just walk down the tunnel. So in some ways, I'm a little hypocritical, really, because I would have been probably done the same. But we, you do when you get sent off, you have an obligation with the with the world watching to accept your punishment, what he's given you, whether it's right or wrong. And I can see more games being put on top of that. Yeah. Well, the only difference historically is that when you're sent off, there's no debate because there's nobody giving you a second check. In this instance, yeah. what happens is there is this pause, isn't there? Almost like you're waiting for for a delaying of the execution and ultimately VAR intervening to make sure that the sending off is legitimate. Yeah. So you've got that moment on time where you're sat on, stood on the pitch, yeah. which which lent itself in this instance to Virgil van Dijk thinking he has the right to say something. You, if, 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 if it's going to be retrospective adjustments for sending offs, as there was last week with Alexis McAllister, there's going to have to be retrospective consequences for people that behave on the pitch the way that he chose to behave, it's irrespective right. of frustrations, yeah. Yeah. and he may well reap the whirlwind for it. You're right. I mean, there, there's Andy, predictably, in Manchester. Hopefully you guys <laughs> are going to cover the disgraceful way Van Dyke abused the ref and wouldn't leave the pitch. He's right. He's right. It was a poor moment for Van Dyke. Reflects badly on him. 
Well, I, I like Virgil. I know him. I, I like him. Yeah, listen, I think when they're in their moments, the frustrations that come with that, and you think you've thrown the game away for your team, that he's in a moment that is almost uncontrollable. Yeah. Um, and we've all been there in moments in our life when you, you do things and say things because of the emotion of the situation. I'm sure when he sits back and reflects, yeah. he'll look back and go, yeah, I was probably in the wrong there. Right. Next off uh, for Newcastle, away at Brighton, that might be tricky. Although Brighton slipped up at the weekend. Is that a good one for them to have? I think it is. I fancy fancy them there. I've seen Brighton play a few times this season. It's not a bad game to go to. I think sometimes playing away from home, especially with the pace that Newcastle have on the turnover, they're probably suited in some ways with the pace they have to play away from home at this moment in time. What do you think of Liverpool, Simon? More than a fading force this season? I don't know. I mean, ultimately, um, I didn't think Newcastle were great. Um, and careful enough and deliberate enough in the manner, way that they could have managed this game. I don't think Liverpool started great against Bournemouth. I thought they were okay, not bad in the first game against Chelsea. So, look, I never write off Klopp because I think he's an elite manager and I think he is the difference between that side being uh, a mediocre side for it to be an, an excellent side. Now, at this moment in time, yeah. whether we like it or we don't, everybody else is eating Manchester City's fumes. <laughs> they are. Manchester City are, are not even out of first, you know, first yeah. or second gear, yeah, and they've yeah. already got nine points on the board. Yeah. It's ominous because they don't start normally well. So with that in mind, and he's changed things. You know, he doesn't muck about. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Guardiola. He decided that people like Mares might have been very effective going forward, but they weren't doing jobs going back, and that's going to change. And he wanted rid of him. And so, you know, I, I think it's ominous. I think everybody, tragically. Because I don't like to see a league dominated. I don't want to see a Bundesliga situation sure. where one side consistently keeps winning the, the Premier yeah. League. But that's a point. That's one other people to change. Was well, there ever a manager you couldn't get the better of? I mean, Eddie Howe cannot. <laughs> well, look, look at Before Eddie Howe. Does it? I mean, Jurgen Klopp has overseen eleven consecutive <laughs> Premier League wins Joey against Eddie. Joey Barton. What you couldn't get the better of him? I would do off the pitch. <laughs> no, um, no, for some unknown reason, I don't know what it is. You, you just sometimes have that, yeah. don't you? You just you can't put your finger on it. Sure. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Daniel Dubois is not with us this morning. I wonder how he's feeling. Because he had a real chance against Usyk at the weekend. But in the end, Usyk retained his IBF, WBA and WBO heavyweight titles. A ninth round stoppage against Daniel Dubois. But that key moment in the fifth round, that punch, was it a low blow or a legal blow? And Usyk went down. The fight went on. Dubois didn't go after him then. Maybe should have. And in the end, Usyk won. But Don Charles, uh, Dubois' trainer, says, look, quite simply, we were conned. I've usually got a lot to say, but I'm actually speechless. Because my, my boy, my boy Dan Dubois, he's been, in fact, he's left the building, he's distraught. He's a young man aspiring to do great things in life, in boxing, yeah? And when such things happen in, in today's world, where we have technology, it shouldn't be allowed to happen. Yusuf is an exceptional fighter, we know that, yeah? But he's got to cut out the cheating, yeah? However you want to dress it up, that's cheating. The fight should have been concluded in that round. He legitimately got hit on the button and he went down. He actually thought of not continuing, continuing right? That's called faking it, and the referee fell for it. 
Well, I mean, we are talking about that right now back in Studio Live this morning. It is quite a subjective. Many people think, no, it was a low blow. Many people don't. Don Charles, incidentally, Simon, will be with us tomorrow morning. Indeed. Let's get the view of a former fighter because uh, Johnny Nelson joins us live in the show this morning. Johnny, good morning. Good morning, boys. Good morning. Yes, I watched the fight. And yes, that's probably like a lot of people sat at the edge of their seat thinking, what, what's going on here? I don't think the, the shot was illegal. Uh, I think I gather below the belly button's illegal. I think what Usyk did is what most footballers do when they get flicked over the end roll about for about 15, about 15 times. I think he milked it, milked it well. I think the 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 best man won, uh, but uh, he didn't deserve the he didn't deserve the win. And and the other thing is this: Usyk, who was to know that? Yeah, Usyk, you know, he should have. He went down. Danny could have cut, uh, carried on the round. What makes you think that Usyk couldn't have, you know, come back from that, uh, found his way through the round, and then still won the fight the way he did? I just think that situation there was unfair. Right. So I just to be just to be clear, uh, Johnny, you uh, think the same as Don Charles thinks that Dubois was robbed? I don't think he was robbed. I, I, I don't think he was robbed at all. Like what I'm saying is, I, I do think um, it, it, it wasn't a low blow, but I don't. I still don't think he'd have beat um, Usyk. Usyk. Usyk could have hustled his way through the round, you know, but the referee gave him time to, to, to recover. You know, what makes you think Usyk couldn't have recovered that round? It wasn't illegal, illegal, uh, an illegal blow. He went down, he should have took the count or got the point saying losing the round. But what I'm saying is I, I just think Usyk would, would probably still have been, had the skills to get through it, but we'll never know. That's the debate. Where do you stand on it, Simon? I'm in the same space as Johnny. Um, I was um, obviously I was going to be in Poland. I didn't go, and I watched it on television. And I think Carl Frampton's reaction. I'll always listen to the fighters that have actually been there, rather than look at the layman that think they've got an understanding of it. So I listened to Carl Frampton instantaneously come out with the response as it happened. That's not a low blow. And then he doubled down when he got to see the video there and afterwards. I spoke to Spencer, who was there. Um, uh, who uh, again was in the same space Carl Froch has got a different view but some of that might be about his agenda with Frank Warren um, but he had a different view about the reality of it, what it was and Johnny Nelson saying the same thing I mean I had three questions and I'll ask them with Don tomorrow but the first question was again the low blow scenario which I think we're all concurring with the idea the second part for me was I cannot understand why Daniel Dubois didn't jump on him I cannot understand it um, because everyone talked about the loss of momentum and the fact that he had to stand in the corner for three and a half minutes waiting for him. I tell you what, if that's Deontay Wilder on the other side of the ring, <laughs> he could have waited for half an hour to come across throwing bombs at him. Yeah. And I'm also slightly concerned about Daniel's propensity to accept things as he did in the ninth round and not want to pull himself back into a dark space. And I'll ask all those of Don tomorrow. But again, I watched a fight and I probably, Johnny's seen the same thing on the top rank bill. Uh, where Jared Anderson had a fight over the weekend against Wadenko. And if you want to see that, you want to see the punches that Jared Anderson landed, about 10 of them in one round in the, on the belt, and not one desire to call it as an illegal punch from the referee. Right, right. There's so much subjectivity let, let, in this. Let, let, thing... let me tell you what I think. Let me tell you what I think is a low blow. Chris Eubank, he, the, the best advice he gave me when I boxed, said, Johnny, always wear two protectors. Always put two protectors on. I, was, I boxed in Germany, and I mean, I was getting, I was getting punched. I mean, middle stump. You know what I mean? So, and, and that's a low blow. There was no, there was no one. So, so the dispute there is a case of human error. The referee, uh, the referee, he was in a position where you know what he had to make. He made the decision. It was a wrong decision how he gave him time to milk it. It should have made him count, count him, made him get back at his feet, uh, and 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 that was it. So, so unfortunate. It's human error. 
And, but, and but Johnny, we can, all have... can you tell people, because what was made, what Don Charles is making a lot of is the subjectivity of a referee's ability to be able to brief before the fight. He talks to the fighters before the fight, he gives you the rules, he tells you what looks like a, a low blow. And, and Don yeah. Charles is saying that they were explicitly told that punching on the belt wasn't a low blow. Isn't that something that manifests itself before big fights, or any fight? No, not at all. This, this is something you, this is something you, you, unless you're going in there with the intention of, 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 of actually uh, hitting somebody low. No, John, no, the briefing, I, I, Johnny, the briefing from the referee. Yeah, but, but, so, but the, brief, the briefing, is, that is always the briefing. That is always the briefing from the referee. You'll get, you'll get a million things told you what will and won't happen if certain situations happen in the ring. So, so, so these things are, are standard. It's standard behavior, standard procedure. Do, do you think Dubois, as uh, Frank Warren is saying, deserves another another tilt at Usyk? Um, yeah, but I don't think the result will make it be any different. I honestly don't. And, yeah, and again, yeah. I, even though again, even though I agree that uh, the punch wasn't low, even though the referee should have, uh, you know, Usyk should have lost that round and got up and fought straight away. If he put the count on him, would have got on his feet pretty quick. He milked it. He did what many footballers do. We see it time and time again. He milked it. And now, so you've got other boxers or, or, or Don saying, you know what, you cheated. He got away with it. But Johnny, he and was in he trouble fight, though, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, he was in trouble because even after three and a half minutes, because the referee got tired of him, because the referee could have given him five minutes and he turned around and said to him, you're getting a minute more. So you could see that the referee was getting tired of him and we knew that the referee was going to be put under pressure by an extremely yeah. partisan crowd, so it was going to be put in that invidious position. But but you could see for the first 30 seconds after he'd got himself back on his feet that he was in trouble, John. And let me just tell you this. The shot was was a, an, an instinct, instinct. When he got hit, he knew he got hurt. He instinctively went down. That hurt him. Did. So that's when you, when you start to gather your force and think, oh, all right, okay. Now he, th he thought I'll milk it. The referee, referee, let him get away with milking it. This is a, this is, this is with Usyk. You know, when he, if he gets hit good and hard to the body, so when the amateurs him getting hit to the body, he got hit there, boom, straight down. He gave him time to to to, to play, to play it, to play mm -hmm. the game. Mm -hmm. There, know, a this, lot of messages coming in, Johnny. I mean, there's Dom, uh, who describes himself as the Surrey Gunner. Punching below the top line of the protector is a low blow. Why is there any confusion here? No, no. You listen, listen, I'm a fighter, and I know what a low blow is. I, Harold Graham used to wear his shorts up below, below his breast. You know what I mean? <laughs> in a bad man, actually can. You've yeah. got a protector there. The protector's there for a reason. If yeah. you get hit in the middle stump, that's a low blow. He got hit on the waistband of the of the uh, of the shorts. It was clear to everybody, uh, and and that is not a low blow. Trust me, that's below the waistband is a low blow. It yeah. was not below. Johnny, I mean, Don Charles can say all he likes. Why didn't Dubois go after Usyk when he eventually got back on his feet? Because the momentum was taken away. That simple. It was taken away. And they, listen, sometimes referees will be in a fight and, they, and they'll try and, I don't know, make time up or, or they'll mess you about. You get to the corner, mess with your gloves, take you back to the corner. It just kills the momentum. But why, but why Johnny? I mean, I just made the argument and maybe you can you can contradict it. If that was Deontay Wilder sitting on the other side of the ring, he could yeah. have been waiting for half an hour. Exactly. He'd have flown across there throwing bombs. Yeah, but you know what? Um, he's not a Deontay Wilder. Mm. He's not got that instinct. He's yeah. not got... And, and, if, and most of us are true and honest. We hoped... Um, uh, Daniel won. We'd hope he'd win. He has yeah. a punch, he had a punch um, 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 uh, shot to, to win the fight. But they, that instinctive fight, you know, they fight again the same thing will happen. The same, exactly the same thing will happen. Johnny, while we have you on and we love having you on, um, we know what happened recently with Dillian White, adverse yeah. analytical finding. Um, so he didn't fight Anthony Joshua. Robert Hellenius did. Ironically, mm -hmm. 
now we know that Robert Hellenius has tested positive. Um, mm -hmm. What is the wisdom of pre-fight drug tests that don't show the results until after the fight? Okay, so so quite clearly him coming at six days' notice. He gets the drug test done on a Friday. They find out. They, they found out when they said they found out. So so to me, it's not coming. Um, the consequences are not high enough for this. to This will happen again and again and again and again. The governing bodies of our, of our sport need to put something tight in where everybody suffers the consequences. Absolutely. But Johnny, what's That's the purpose? What it, what's the purpose? Yeah. You saw Alicia Boomgarden get tested three days before a fight, right? And there's no possibility or seeming possibility that those results are going to come back before Box the fight. Ticket. Surely the objective is to get people tested before a fight, exactly. know that they're clean to go into a fight, yeah. rather having all this BS after the fight. Exactly. The panic's on. They need an opponent. They get somebody in. He's had. He's done his drug test. It's ticking the boxes. It's ticking the boxes. This. It's like. It's like having a chocolate fire guard. What a waste of time. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to two dollars a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Fans of yours, why is this man not back in football yet? Well, off edge then, Simon just called me as you football lot. <laughs> I'm actually unemployed, so <laughs> I don't know. No, but you're, uh, you want to manage. Uh, yeah, this is, you, I you love it. This is the first time that I've had seven, I've had six months out now, and this is the the worst of being. And I, now I do feel like I do want to get back, but it's got to be right. And when you has got to be right, I just love football. And yeah. I, we spoke about purity. I, I just, I like being on touchdown. And, and equally as well, what people forget, you make so many mistakes as a manager, as a person in, in general. So the next job, fundamentally, if you, if you if you think and you learn, you get better because of it, you'll be better in your next job. Yeah. What, what are you staring what at me Carl for? neglects to mention is the reasons why I said you football lot is I said I've never seen such a really <laughs> livid bunch of thin-skinned whiners as boxers. They're worse than you football lot. Yeah. I did a podcast uh, a while ago with Sam Allardyce and he absolutely raved about Carl. Raved Thank about you. him. Absolutely raved about him. 
Thank you. It's good to hear, isn't it? When somebody like Sam, it is who's Simon, seen it, been it, done it, when he talks about you like that, Carl, and no, I've seen you in action, mate. You know what you're doing. No, I just, I just love what I do, and if that means you're good at it, and that other people, that's not for me to say, Jim. I, I would no, never. No, no, no. Of course, people, people sometimes think I'm a different person to what I am. Mind you, do you want to get into the game at this stage uh, in the proceedings with so much going on regards uh, VAR and everything else that goes with it? I'm talking about what went on in the Manchester United Forest game. Uh, Forest captain Joe Worrell sent off by Stuart Atwell for denying a goal-scoring opportunity at 2-2. Forest believed that Willie Bowley was uh, a covering defender, but the VAR official stuck with Atwell's on-field decision. This was Steve Cooper on that. I just think in, in games like these, you, you, you need a bit of, I don't even want to say, say good luck um, to go your way. You just want um, things to be as they should. I'm not going to talk too much because I don't want to get myself into, into trouble. But the only thing I was surprised about is um, how quickly the decisions were made at that moment in time. I think you, you sort of see now on, on decisions that can define a game, which maybe, amongst other things, did. You tend to see referees take... Uh, a bit more time, you know, particularly at the top, top level. Um, so I was just really, really surprised looking at it, how quick it all, it all happened. You just need things to, to go, go your way. And I'm sort of uh, biting my tongue, to be honest, um, in terms of uh, in what I really feel, you know. But, um, um, but yeah, it, they, of course, it, they were defining moments in the game. There's other things as well. I think one of the frustrations that we will have taken away from the game is that we had some real good moments to, to create and score again. So we'll also, you know, take that as well. We're not just going to look at, look at decisions. You've got to look at yourself as well. You know, when he said there, Carl, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to get myself into to trouble. That is utterly ridiculous when you think of it. Steve yeah. Cooper is a good, solid manager who has constructive opinion. If you keep it constructive and keep it even-keeled, what, 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 what you What think. baffles me is, because we're not allowed to make it personal. No, and, 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 and that's rightly so. But equally, it's that person's made the error. So if we make a mistake as a manager, it becomes personal. No, by but you're what, not digging them out personally. You're no, saying, but, 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 for the betterment but, 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 of the game, I'm going to say this. I, I, so Jim, I, I went to, strangely, I went to speak at the uh, PDMOL pre-season conference um, and this is going to shock a lot. I was really impressed with Howard Webb. Yes, really I'm was, on. and I feel the they're getting a lot of criticism right now. The PGM well, rightly so. He's only been his termship's only been a few months really where he's had. And I seen a man on stage, Jim, with complete authority, understanding, conviction, em- empathy as well. Yes, yes. empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I spoke and I actually spoke and I got I got a bit in trouble because I actually I used the word I said I've cheated. As a manager, there's be things and what is cheating? Is it pushing the laws of the game? Is it telling the player to stay How did down? You cheat? Well, if, if if I've got a player injured, I want to make a substitution. I just tell someone to go down for two or three minutes and let me take stock in a game. And I've heard people on this show speak about when managers lose control of games. One of the ways of maybe gaining control back is by slowing the tempo. We, we, we spoke about Usyk at the weekend, going down and taking longer to control his emotions, the take the emotion away from Dubois. Well, we do that as managers as well. We sometimes, you've got to stop the ebb of the game and, and sort of bring it back to you. Right, so in other so words, is, is you that, back Howard Webb and what he's trying to do. Well, I walked away from that conference and I've never been so understanding of what they do. I've realised how difficult it is 
I have got a completely different outlook on how they referee right. and what they've got to think about and what they have to deal with. So why, Carl, are the complaints getting more and more loud it, every week? We're, st- we're still in that transition period, though. We're still in that transition period. I know I, I did something with someone the other day and, and we were speaking about where it was to where it's going. It's got to take time. And there is some good young referees coming through. I don't think... I'm not an advocate of VAR to an extent because I think it's getting involved with the natural refereeing of the game, which we used to have. Yeah. And I do feel... But I do with Howard. I do believe... But you guys as managers have brought this upon yourselves. Yeah. I, you, you, you know, there's this, there's this refusal to accept the authority on the pitch. This debate. You, you do not hear post a rugby game a referee or the, the media feeling the necessity to interrogate a refereeing decision up hill and down Dell with a manager that makes just as many mistakes yep. as a referee 100%. having the gift of being able to suggest to the ultimate... I don't like the idea that you have little Mussolini's running around the pitch without any accountability. I don't like that idea. But I also don't like the idea that the lunatics run the asylum. I don't like the idea that the players and the managers can behave the way they think they want to behave. And they've, whatever they've got now, yeah. they've brought upon themselves. They can thank people like Bruno Fernandes or Andy Robertson for pushing it to such a point last year that the referee fraternity went, that will do. Now, it's nowhere near what it used to be like. And everything in society has dropped its own view of what it will and won't tolerate. It's nothing like the days where Roy Keane and that mob used to run around hounding referees within an inch of their lives. Yeah. But we're in a different society now. And yeah. I am for this idea that the authority on the pitch is the referee. Now, <clears throat> that doesn't mean that if he doesn't do his job, that ultimately he isn't accountable for it. That, that, that means that, that, that the standards we should be asking referees to be held to are the highest ones. But if they have to spend less time working their way through argumentative, belligerent, truculent gamesmanship from managers and players, and more time focusing on interpreting rules and understanding every aspect of the game, and, and, and more time making sure that the real value in the game is maintained, which is integrity of decisions, we might find a better outcome. And That's people true. are going to have to Scott, suck it up in the meantime. All of so, that so, is true, so isn't it? The thing for me, and, and, and as a manager, you, you stand on the touchline, and, and I do look back on some of the actions that I've done personally, and you think... I wish I would have been better at that. After the game, when you're doing your, your, your interviews and when you're speaking to the media, there's so many fundamental things that goes through, what went through my head. I wouldn't say I'm not going to bring everyone into this. Is the chairman, which you've been mm-hmm. one. How do I control the thoughts and feelings of, of that person? Because he's the boss. At the end of the day, the owner is the boss. We're only, in some ways, we're managing their team. And I'm not one of them who, who sits here as a manager and as a go owners because they put their money and they've got the, the divine right to do what they need to do with their football club and with their money. The next point is then my players. How do they emotionally feel? Who do we play next week? How are they going to get themselves back up for next week? Then the fans. How did they see the end of the game? What is the tipping point and what can I do or what can I say to emotionally control that situation for this football club for the next game and it's sometimes I've done things sometimes and I've had a go at referees and I've gone my mum's even had a go at me and gone you idiot that didn't happen and I've looked back at some of the things and comments i never seen that but my thought process at that time might have been sort of context with the reality but yeah. it was the right thing to say for my team yeah and the you sound off. You sound off when you, you when you uh, when you lose. One hundred percent. But you calm it down a bit when you win. Yeah, but yeah. We See, do. but he has a very pragmatic view. 
and, and, and I'm going to say this and you might not like it, Carl, but that's because the scale of which you've managed that hasn't yeah. turned you into somebody that believes your own hype. So it hasn't turned you into somebody that's an independently wealthy person that lives on an island where he believes that he runs the football club. Conti believed that he ran Tottenham Hotspur. Conti believes that he was the head cook and bottle watcher. Now, I, I, and as a manager, so he should be on the football operation. But you managing MK Dons with Pete Winkleman or you managing Charlton at the time you were managing Charlton or wherever else you've been has a different scale to it. Stick you in the Premier League pay you £10 million a year, put you in a position where gurning journalists stick a microphone under your under your voice, under your face, tell me something that I want to hear from you, yeah. and the personalities of managers change. They get they get, they get get to a point of view where they believe their own hype. So your your attitude is one, yeah, I got, I want, I'm worried about the chairman. I'm worried. The managers in the Premier League are worried about themselves and their belief system in what they think is important. It's not the chairman, it's winning. It's the next game. It's so always it's about winning. Yeah, yeah, it's it, always it, about that's winning. That's what I'm saying. So, so once you've lost, you can't affect that. You, you can't. You can't change. Correct. But all you can do is use that as a motivation or a guide to, yeah. to, to the next one. Because the next one, you have to win. Yeah. And, and I've been sacked and I've, I've seen... And it's changed a little bit of football, though, with managers. Because at the top, top level, I don't think managers have got the authorities what they used to have. Because of sporting directors and chairmen and CEOs have a much more control of how, how it used to be. I remember when Sam Fairs went to Blackburn. I remember when Jack Walker was there as well. We had Tom Finn and John Williams. Yeah, Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Good people. Good, John, yeah. solid people. And they had an unbelievable relationship with the manager. But equally, the manager understood where he consistently stood with but them. But the only thing that's changed, I would suggest and venture to you, is the ridiculous notion that football managers should be economists and should be anywhere near the finances of what a player does or doesn't get. That sentiment of Bill Shankly running the football club in a certain way and nothing going past his desk yeah. is long it's gone. Changed. When you started paying players the kind of money you're paying them, you can't have a manager. The manager selects his player, someone else buys him. You're 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Now then, the Rugby World Cup just around the corner. Simon alongside me here with Carl Robinson, but what's happening with England? That's a big question. So after they lost to Fiji uh, at the weekend, apparently the RFU matchday presenter said, but there were so many positives. And then you look at the Times this morning, so many positives, pull the other one. So England in a spot of trouble after losing to Fiji. Uh, I'm delighted to say former World Cup winner, Lewis Moody, joins us live on the show. Lewis, good afternoon to you. This isn't the England you know and love, is it? Good afternoon, chaps. Oh, do you know it's uh, it's hard. It's hard to watch at the minute. It's hard to watch. I, um, you know, I had I had great faith in uh, in in both us and the team. I still have great faith in the team and and the coaches actually. But it is it is tough viewing at the minute. It is. I mean, when you you look at it, Lewis. So many positives. It says here in the Times. Alex Lowe, the chief rugby correspondent. England have fallen from number one to rock bottom. Are they at rock bottom, Lewis? Well, if they're not a rock bottom, you know there is there as near as they can get prior to a to a World Cup campaign. Um, you know, I've seen some of the stats. You know, Steve Borthwick is a data man. He's a very good coach. Um, you know, he he's well respected in the game, but he's a data man, and he will look at the stats and he will see that England have, you know, the worst um, completion rate in in the opposition twenty two. They have the worst ruck speed. They have the worst handling errors. They have the worst number of turnovers conceded. Yet they still have the most number of meters kicked so whenever we do have the ball not only are we making mistakes we're giving it straight back to the opposition anyway so you know how are we supposed to score we conceded I think 20 tries in the last six games so 
Um, I don't want to sit here and, and criticise a team that I know, you know, will be in the changing room, will be in the camp working tirelessly to make sure that they go out on a Saturday or a Sunday and, and have a win. And I know Steve Borthwick and I know the coaches will be doing exactly the same. So, um, you know, the purpose isn't to sit here and, and criticise. It's just to be honest. It's look at where England are and, you know, it's in a dire situation. It reminds me of 2007, you know, went to a World Cup in 2007 and, and, and much has been made of that, um, you know, this since the game at the weekend and, and the similarity in positions. I mean, and, and what, and, go uh, on, Jim. I was just going to say to you, Lewis, when I think of the, you boys and when you won it, I mean, what a team you had with Wilkinson and Greenwood and Martin Johnson. I mean, these players, is it a case, Lewis, and I hate asking it, are they simply not good enough at this level? No, and I say that because if you watch the Premiership week in, week out, the Premiership rugby is a is a quality product. It's probably the best it's been in in well as long as I can remember. You know, off the field. Let's maybe not talk about off the field, but the on the field product is enjoyable to watch. Players deliver week in, week out. Um, so it's not a case of I certainly don't believe they've they've not got the quality of players. They've got one of the biggest talent pools in the world to choose from. Um, for me, it is. It looks like a case of the players are being asked to play in a way that is not working for them. That's what it looks like. To really, me. really asked to be. They're they're being asked to play in a fashion that isn't working. So they've got to change it. That's certainly what it looks like to me. You know, yeah. well, it's not. Working. The reality is, it's not working. You know, whether the players agree with it or not, what they're doing isn't working. You go back over six, seven, eight, nine games, and and look at look at the record it, you know it's it's simple um so what I, I suppose jim you'd probably ask me at some stage i haven't said all that you know what what needs to what needs to change and for for me it's sitting down which i'm sure they have done as a group and saying we can't reinvent the wheel steve isn't going to be create a number of different processes and um, frameworks to play to that he can create in the next two weeks before the first game of the rugby world cup so why not sit down with those leaders, you know, you know, young or experienced, whoever they are. You know, you've got Marcus Smith in the team, one of the most exciting players to be playing the game at the minute, and he's had barely any game time. Uh, and when he has had game time, he's come on in a position he's slightly unfamiliar with. That's not a problem if he's one of our most creative players. Get him on the pitch in any position. Yeah, yeah, frankly, yeah. Minute. yeah, yeah. Um, but sit down, but sit down as a group and say, let's make it simple. We can't reinvent the wheel in two weeks. Make it simple whatever we're going to do, but let's enjoy it. Let's go out and enjoy it because I, you can't sit down with any of those players and say they're enjoying the way they play at the minute because, you know, they don't have any ball when they do have it. They're not making any yards. Um, you know, they're not dangerous. They're not a threat. And it's not that those players aren't good enough. They are. They are all quality players and they're all very capable and we see that week in, week out. They but just it, need to... But Lewis, if you're, if you're suggesting that the players are being asked to play in a way that they don't like or they don't concur with... Then and on the other hand, we're saying that Steve Borthwick is a top coach. Where's the disconnect? Because I'm I'm assuming he has a a reason for wanting to play in a certain way. I'm assuming he is not not conversant with the players that he's selecting and their abilities. So where's the disconnect? You've got George Ford talking about the lack of standards in training. Where is this disconnect that's suddenly manifesting itself from the regime of of Eddie Jones that was creating? 
carnage in certain aspects of the media because of his observations about the structure of rugby and so on and so forth and his attitude full stop. You've got Borthwick coming in and it doesn't in any shape or form resemble what anyone would have anticipated the likely outcomes were no, going to be. No, it's quite simply not working, Lewis. End of. Uh, and, and chaps, I, I agree completely with you. Um, and I wish I had a bird's eye view or, or a camera into training these days to to look at the idiosyncrasies and the nuances of training and tell you why it's not working. Um, you know, is it? You know, I'm making I'm making an opinion when I say that. You know, the players are being asked to do something that or being played a way that they don't want to play. I don't know whether that's true. You know, they may have sat down and gone, this is exactly what we want to do, but it's still not working. <laughs> um, you know, so wh- where is the disconnect? The disconnect is is from, you know, performance. You know, it's a results-based sport, isn't it, at the minute? And and what they're being asked to do at the minute isn't being delivered on the pitch. So all I could suggest in the build-up to a World Cup is you go away, you sit down and, and you rewrite the book because the last nine, six, seven, eight, nine games that we've played, we've played in a similar way and we've had a similar outcome. Um, I, I, I actually, I never thought I'd ask you this, Lewis, going to England going into a Rugby World Cup. But I'll ask it, is it all about damage limitation? I don't. That's a good question, Jim. I don't believe so. I would never go as a player, go into a World Cup as a, you know, the mindset of this is damage limitation. I would go into a World Cup and think, how how do we turn this around? How on earth do we go from where we are now, which is in a, you know, as near to rock bottom as you can get, and how do we how do we make a difference? And and for me, it's sitting down as a group, being honest and accepting where you're at, looking at those stats and the data, and saying, you know, this is embarrassing for us at the minute. This is embarrassing. We had to do that in 07, and it was embarrassing. Um, you know, we sat down with the coaches, we we pointed some fingers, we we bruised some egos. And off the flip side of that, we came up with a simple framework that would allow us to play and do what we needed to do. And then focused on one simple point in each game to try and get the better of the opposition. Because ultimately, you know, you've got to trust these players that they can do their job well. They do it week in, week out for the club. Sure. Give them some simple frameworks to work to. But more importantly, let them go out and enjoy it. And I'm... You know, from everything that I've seen with with uh, with Steve and his teams, you know, you play to to numbers. They kick more ball away. They want the opposition to make less errors, or you know, sorry, they want the opposition to make more errors so they can you know jump on those errors and score more points. But we're not, we're doing none of that at the minute. We're just kicking the ball away and giving them opportunity to run at us because our defence isn't strong enough. Um, okay. You know, so, yeah. So one one of the one of the first things I would like to do, and my twelve year old son would tell you this, it'd be get Marcus Smith on the pitch because you know we're not creating anything at the minute, and you've got your most dangerous player on the you know on the on the sideline. Give him an opportunity. Yeah. He hasn't worked today, in my opinion, because you've been ask, ask, asking Marcus Smith to do Owen Farrell things. You know, it's like having Tom Brady as your starter and Patrick Mahomes on the bench and and Tom has to come off and saying, Patrick, I want you to go on, but you know, you need to win this game, but just do it like Tom Brady. You know, that's not Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> he's gonna around, he's gonna he's gonna throw the yeah. ball over shoulder yeah. between his legs. Um but you need to you need to give Marcus that opportunity to to go on and be creative. But to sure. do that, you've also got to have a team that understands that's how we're going to do it now and we're not going to be kick chasing day in day out welcome to the coliseum of confrontation outspoken with white and jordan thanks for listening to outspoken don't forget to leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode we'll be back throat permitting tomorrow small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project 
there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.